0: This is Greg Harton. I'm the editorial page editor of the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Welcome to another edition of Speaking of Arkansas. Today we're going to talk about the Fayetteville Public Library. It's undergoing a pretty massive expansion right now. It was just back in 2004 that uh, the library really entered a new era. Uh, with the support of taxpayers and donors, the library moved from a relatively small building on uh, Dixon Street into what seemed like a palatial space uh, at Mountain Street and School Avenue. Uh, that was 15 years ago this month. Um, it really wasn't long back then before things started to feel a little bit cramped, I guess I would say. Um, uh, library officials at the time said the users were loving it to death. Um, and uh, that was just heavy use and. Uh, I guess that's a good problem for the library to have um, so they went to the voters and they asked for financial help in the uh, in the form of a bond issue supported by property taxes and that was in August 2016 that voters gave uh, fairly overwhelming support to the library for an expansion and also uh, property tax support for ongoing operation and maintenance so today, our guest is david johnson who became executive director of the library back in 2012 and uh, we wanted to talk with david about this expansion that is uh, going on down there steel is going up uh, as we speak and uh, welcome to the podcast this morning and uh, we look forward to talking to you about the library's expansion thank you for having me greg I'm, i'm honored to be here well as i say the steel's going up uh, I was down there yesterday, and you know, watching the workers uh, do their thing. Um, uh, tell me a little bit about how the the day-to-day life of the library is being affected by uh, by you know building what is essentially. A whole new library beside itself that will all be connected together at, at some point
1: yeah one of the exciting things i i get to see every day are the, the since we're building right off of the south end of the building we have that big glassed in atrium area um, ellipse area it's fun to watch the little kids run up and press their face on the window and watch all these big earth moving machines and now we have people dangling from pieces of steel as they weld and do things. But, you know, for those of us who are not in the construction business, it's been very um, educational and it's sometimes puzzling to see how an 82,000-square-foot building gets added to an 88,000-square-foot building. But it's moving along fast, and uh, it's, it's every day, every hour, you can look out there and see something different.
0: And uh, I spoke just a moment ago about, um uh, having gone to the voters and asked for their support uh and and of course you guys presented kind of a plan for for this um things change as uh you begin construction uh and all of the planning tell me a little bit about what's happening now and how it's a little bit different than what was envisioned uh in the earlier stages of of this uh, just by necessity of changing circumstances
1: I think the the major difference between what we thought we were going to be doing back when we went to the voters in August is just simply the the mass of the building has shifted from uh, originally we were going to be um, building along West Avenue and with a big courtyard opening space sort of embracing School Avenue. But as time had moved on and as there was beginning talks around the arts corridor um, and the cultural arts space, we began to realize that West Avenue may be the more vibrant um, avenue to be open to. So we switched the building over to um, the running along School Avenue, open and embracing of of West Avenue. So that was really the big change. But we've also found, um, as we began to do some touring around and looking at some other um, larger libraries and and seeing more modern um, pieces, we saw some things that we thought you know uh, there's some opportunities here um, one was let's just take our what we were originally planning as a small little maker space um, let's think forward let's see you know 20 years from now 10 years from now what type of things might we really be needing in that space so it has grown um, into an 8,000 square foot um, innovation center where we're going to offer things beyond just simple Um, Fab lab, 3D printing and so forth, we will have that, we'll have a robotics lab, but we're actually going to be bringing in a virtual reality studio where people can come in and do coding and experience virtual reality. We're going to bring in a simulation lab where people can come in and use simulators to gain skills around maybe driving a backhoe or maybe some other earth-moving type of equipment. Um, We'll have a a small pilot simulator, a car uh, simulator for people learning to drive. Um, So we'll put together a simulation um, lab. We're also gonna be putting in a full-size audio recording studio. It'll be professional quality for individuals who wanna come in and and either learn the art of sound engineering, but also um, come in and record live music we'll be putting in a video studio that will be a complement to a lot of what's happening around town, in particular with the school system. So that as um, we have students who have video projects and things that they're working on, they can come to the library after school hours um, and complete and and finish out their um, video projects. And we'll have all of the editing bays and things that will make that a nice, um, well-rounded video production studio. And then we're also putting in a photography studio. Um, many of the, we went and looked at a few um, of these innovation centers and places and, and photography is still very active. Um, it's a not only a hobby, but a profession. And many are using these small studios um, for getting images uh, available to put out on websites and so forth. So innovation center was something that we thought we would grow beyond what we had originally thought. And we also knew that we were in need of A complement to um, not only the Arcega's small little um, food service and beverage service that we have, we wanted to put in something a little more robust. Uh, We're putting in a deli. But the more we talked with our partners in town and the more we began to fully understand um, issues like food insecurity um, in this region and particularly in Fayetteville where 54% of your kids are on free and reduced lunch, Um, and you begin seeing these opportunities to to tie in a culinary literacy program and space. Um, We began exploring and are uh, actually putting in a a teaching kitchen um, in partnership um, with uh, people uh, and organizations like Northwest Arkansas Community College and their culinary program at Brightwater. Mm -hmm. Um, We're also working with the Fayetteville Public Schools and high school students Um, being able to come over and get concurrent um, credits. They'll get high school credit and college credit for some of the culinary arts. Um, but also open it up for the community so that, Greg, if you had a bumper crop of tomatoes and you needed a space to come in and do some canning or some processing of tomatoes, you could check out that library space, that kitchen space, and utilize it for whatever your community needs are as well. So um, that portion of the program has grown uh, significantly, but we think it's something that's going to be embraced by the community. We hear often about um, a need for these um, culinary literacy programs, and we think that that's uh, something we'll be um, proud to, to bring to the community.
0: So I'll still be able to check out a book. Oh, absolutely. So
1: <laughs> you know, I, this is a, a you know a community that loves its materials. They right. love their traditional library materials, and we're embracing that. We currently today house about three hundred thousand material items. And that collection is going to grow to 400,000 over time. So um, our even with ebooks books and, and all of the advent of digital resources available, we're still seeing a tremendous um, circulation pattern around, around our print materials. So we would never, ever dare <laughs> cut that one back. And well, coming I, I, from a book lover like myself, <laughs> you know, I have to see those materials out there.
0: Well, I, I, I kind of joke about that just because it, it clearly there is a, um, over the last 10, 15 years, there's this huge kind of transition about what a library is, what it, what it means to people, um, you know, and, and you know, I've, I'm more of a traditionalist, I guess, uh, in terms of what I would envision for a library. I, I want to go there check out books and you know uh, come to some events Uh, I was there the other day for the Ben Johnson uh, uh, discussion about Arkansas history and uh, uh, you know those sorts of things Uh, and when you're talking about this innovation space and and and, uh, uh, it's uh, I look at that and I think I've come around but (laughs) but I but I but I look at that and think that's not what the library traditionally has done, and and other people in the community have have done different elements of that. So, what is it that you see in uh, your the audience that you serve that says this is this is the kind of library that we we need to have? Yeah, Greg,
1: I think I'm much like you. I grew up in that traditional library model, um, very transactional in nature. We my mother would take us to the library, and we'd run around and we would find our materials, use the card catalog, but it would, we'd find them, we would check them out, we would take them home, we would consume them, then we would bring them back. And so um, that transactional model supported at that time, a a model of literacy that was really based around um, basic reading. Um, uh, math um, and writing and those were the demands of the day. Uh, If you had those basic skills you would be successful in being able to obtain work, uh, succeed in school and so forth. As we've moved forward um, I think the demands of the day have changed and we're seeing that in our schools clearly Um, and uh, the fact that the, the skill sets that are required um, of our young people as they come out of the schools and, and as the people in our community, digital literacy, health literacy, medical literacy, legal literacy, financial literacy, all of these various pressures upon um, on the people in the community. And the library needs to stand in that space, much as it did back when in the traditional model where it was to help people improve their quality of life um, through that traditional literary literacy sense. Today, we want to be available for everyone to help them kind of meet them where their needs are um, and help improve their quality of life. You know, we're one of the few free institutions around where I can come in and and borrow an item um, free of charge and bring it back where I can come in and I can hear a author speak or I can hear a historian speak, um, at no charge, the things that the library is delivering are, I consider us to be the great equalizer, um, trying to offer um, these resources and the people and, and the community something um, that they may not be able to meet um, otherwise. So libraries are maturing and I think um, certainly libraries and communities that are keeping their finger on the pulse uh, of what the is interested in are growing and, and thriving. Um, our We have a very strong relationship with the Fayetteville public school system and with the, um, the parochial schools and, and the charter schools and understanding what are the pressures that the students are facing in class and how can we be a complement to what they're doing when the school doors are closed. Um, and it's pushing us in directions that back 30 years ago we wouldn't have seen a public library um, making those moves.
0: So the the... Uh, construction that's going on also includes space uh, it does include space for materials in terms of um, uh, expanded youth uh, uh, areas um, which will I guess in turn allow you to expand some of the adult uh, material areas Um, uh, and then you've also got this meeting space uh, uh, that uh, I think you mentioned is 700 uh, people that uh, could go into that space for any sort of presentation. Uh, uh, tell me a little bit about that space. Yeah, so we are building, right now we're
1: kind of calling it our multi-purpose center. Um, it's a room that will seat 700 in a automated seating system type of space where we can seat 700 in a rake-seated theater um, to hear an author talk or watch a, a musical performance or Um, you know listen to a theatrical performance or see that but that furniture can retreat into the walls so that all of a sudden now we have a banquet hall where if someone in the community um, whether it's a nonprofit or somebody wants to come in and utilize have a banquet um, we can seat 500 um, and maybe we can divide that room up into different quadrants and then it can be used for several smaller events I think it would have been irresponsible for us to build just another um, theater space that could only be used once or twice a week. Um, Our job and our goal was to say, how can we use it every day in some way? Um, So the modular furniture piece was uh, presented as an option and a a solution to that, and it's what we're going to be putting together. But when you think about, you know, when we had Lois Lowry at the library, we had 900 people. Um, come to that event. Anthony Bourdain drew 600 people. Bob Woodward drew 500 people. And we're doing this three or four times a year. Um, It requires us in our current facility to shut down portions of the library, move all of the materials out, put together all the seating and the stage, and then we have to have an event and then turn it back around that night and be a library in the morning. Um, And the, the, the The furniture wasn't designed to be moved and moving shelves full of books is not an easy task. So we knew um, that we needed more space because we feel like this community um, is asking for more of those types of opportunities to hear speakers, to see distinguished lectures, to watch a play and so forth. Um, And and we're really excited to see how
0: that building is gonna get used. Well, and you mentioned the Arts Corridor, which uh, for some listeners um, that we may not be aware of that, that's a, that's a city project uh, that was approved in the last bond issue that, uh, where they are developing a, um, a part of uh, town uh, along the trail system um, uh, as, a, as what they call an Arts Corridor um, that uh, will run from Dixon Street and West Avenue uh, down past the library and what is known as Fay Jones Woods, a a nice wooded area right beside the library. And you were speaking of kind of turning that building around a little bit and you've got a plaza area out in front of the building. I say in front, it's, it's, it will be in front, but (laughs) we've got to kind of get our mind adjusted to what the front is. But Um, but you'll have a plaza area out there that won't be just for, for, you know, a few plants or something like that. I mean, that's programmable space as well, if if I understand the way you guys are looking at that.
1: Yes, sir. You know, we've got the courtyard space. I think we're calling it the Gathering Glade. Um, It's it's an outdoor space that is a little larger than the downtown square. Um, And in that space, we envision um, being able to do things like movies on summer evenings. We can have outdoor musical and theatrical performances. We've also working on an agreement with the farmer's market to do a Sunday market um, in that outdoor space. Um, But, you know, the library is beyond the walls and we see this as another place where we can do programming, where patrons can come in. People in the community can just hang out. We're going to have a some cut stone sort of amphitheater type seating space. It's going to be heavily wooded once the trees mature and grow. Um, and again, it's going to embrace that Ife Jones um, Six Acre Park, which is going to have another opportunity for programming. You know, we can take library um, patrons. We can go do a watercoloring class, or maybe we go do a native species plant identification class. Or Um, Just the the outdoor opportunities for us to increase programming um, beyond the walls are significant and we're going to be excited to see how how we utilize it and what the community asks us to do in that space.
0: The um, As you develop the the new part of the uh, the expanded part of the building, um, I guess eventually that will impact the existing uh, facility. Tell me a little bit about uh, what people can expect in terms of disruption to uh, as, as I say over there yesterday and mm-hmm. even though there's a big construction project going on right beside it It's still kind of life as usual in the in the main part of the library uh, But I assume that will come to a, a, a bit of an end as far as no disruption in the in the main building
1: Yeah, you know to our our board's credit um, the, the Board of Trustees said, you know what, we're going to stay open um, as long as we can. We're not going to relocate. Um, we're going to try to see if we can't provide library services um, to the to Fayetteville citizens for as long as we can. We think we can do that all the way up through maybe August of next year. Um, we're looking at an October time frame for opening, but we think we can be open well into August. Um, will there be disruptions? Yes. So one of the unique pieces of the uh, and challenges to our design was how do we grow on the footprint that we have? And then when we were successful with the city hospital acquiring that property, um, we realized we can come out underneath um, the existing Blair Library. When people enter the library through the main plaza today, they may not realize it, but they come in on the third floor there are actually two floors that are back of house for us um, below. So we're going to be expanding off of those two pieces. And as a result, the way we tie it together is we're going to be cutting a big hole in the floor, um, right there on the third floor uh, where our uh, magazines and newspapers are. Um, People will be able to come in and descend down a staircase and into um, the new lobby area on the second floor uh, of the expansion. Um, We think we'll be cutting that hole sometime in December, late December, around the 20th. Um, At that time, we'll probably have to erect a wall and build um, some security around making sure nobody can get, get dusty or hurt or anything of that nature. But it will cause us to begin to shift around some of the functions and some of the pieces that we're doing. But I think the core of what we do Um, provide library services and materials and spaces for people to come and um, read materials or meet with clients, whatever. I think we're going to be able to provide that space well into um, August of 2020. Um, It'll be a challenge. And will it be loud at times? Yes. And will it probably smell like paint? Yes. (laughs) Um, But, uh, you know, we think balanced with the cost of trying to relocate someplace and, and, stand up a, a temporary small library that wouldn't have a parking deck and it wouldn't be central to downtown. We felt like, let's just try to hunker down and, and, and make it the best little library that's being expanded in, in northwest Arkansas.
0: You mentioned uh, uh, the other day when we visited that uh, this also includes um, some additional smaller spaces for, uh, uh, I guess, up there on the... Uh, uh guess it's the fourth floor uh, of the building uh, that there are some of the small study spaces that people can use uh, and you're talking about uh, adding a few of those
1: yeah you know we have uh, upstairs we've got six little small meeting or study study rooms and those are just used all the time in fact it uh, people are getting into them and staying all day if they could and so we've kind of altered our, the way you have to check those, those rooms out, but the demand on it is like at nine o'clock in the morning when we open the the gates, people just rush up and try to get a room, especially around finals for both college and high school students. And, um, and they're being used by professionals who are working non-traditional jobs who may be working from their home, but need to meet with clients and, and, or patients or, uh, Different, different needs. So we, uh, we're gonna be adding 23 more various size study rooms and spaces for collaboration and places for people to work together where nonprofits can come and hold board meetings where um, students can gather. Several of them will be smart study rooms where they can work on a whiteboard um, and actually send that homework directly to their teacher she, she or he can see it on their phone, provide commentary, write back to them. Um, the idea being, you know, let's make them as technologically as sophisticated as we can and take advantage of all of the, the ways that we can connect students to teachers um, and parents and, and people in the community. So um, it's, that's one of the things that was purely demand-driven, um, was just a, the constant need to provide more space for people to collaborate.
0: Now, is most of that in the existing building? The The additions will be in the existing building as it's, well?
1: It's spread a little bit. Um, okay. We're going to be adding some on what will be the second floor. Um, we're putting in right where that new lobby space is, uh, where you'll descend out of the third. There's going to be a new study, um, uh, a meeting room in that area. Um, the smaller rooms will be distributed. Some of them will be in preschool, where you know parents will want to meet with... Uh, you know young kids and have a little private moment we also have a lot of students that you are kids that are using those that are meeting with tutors um, and different things so they're they're distributed as uh, throughout the building uh, as as we can make it
0: the um, staffing Mm -hmm. is always a question uh, when i mean you're you are I guess doubling the size of the of the building more or less Uh, uh, but for the space that the public uses it's going to feel like you're more than doubling uh, because so much of the the current space is used uh, as you were talking about kind of behind the scenes Um, but uh, that a a bigger building is going to require more staffing I assume that that tax that was passed for operation and maintenance as well helps to fund more people to be of service in in all of these areas.
1: Yeah, and, you know, that was part of the calculation that went into, you know, if we're going to build this new building, we're going to need the additional funds to be able to run it. Staffing was a part of that model. Um, Going into our 2020 budget um, process, we're going to be filling uh, many of those positions. Um, We've already added some on the administrative side, um, we created an HR uh, manager, human resources and other things because we are going to be getting bigger Um, and you know the challenge will be how do we grow responsibly how do we add roles that are necessary and uh, for example going into a big multi-purpose center we do know we're probably going to need somebody who can do event management, event coordination Um, we're going to need additional facilities people for just keeping it clean one of the things we've strived for and I think we've been successful is trying to keep the library in opening day condition every day. Um, And so we're going to carry that model forward, it'll probably require a few more uh, people in facilities. Um, IT, technology, you know, since you're going to be increasing that sort of a footprint, um, how are you going to add additional support to make sure all of these technology solutions are are operating uh, efficiently and like we want them. Um, and we'll be adding a few roles around, um, uh, you know, in adult services and in our youth services. If you're going to double the size of the youth services department, you better be prepared to put um, qualified people in there to help make a, a enjoyable experience for people who come. So uh, we don't have an exact headcount ad right now. Um, we're looking at that in this budget process. Um, we should be, have a, a much better idea sometimes in December. How many do you employ right now? We have right at about fifty-two full-time. Uh, it's FTEs F, uh, mm-hmm. that adds it's up full-time to full-time equivalents. Full-time yeah. equivalents, and that adds up to right around a headcount of around seventy-two. A lot of our pages um, and some of our circulation staff work, you know, between sixteen and twenty hours a week. So, it gives us a, a, a bigger headcount. But I want to add that you know, we have 220 volunteers um, that help make um, the library be successful. And I don't think we could do what we do without um, their efforts and all of their willingness to help be um, a part of the, of the team, so to speak. And so I anticipate as we move forward, our volunteer pool will grow. Um, and, you know, there's every bit a part of what we do um, as the full-time staff and the part-time staff.
0: Do you anticipate uh, uh, expanded hours of the library? You know, uh,
1: when we sat down to figure out, okay, let's look at operations and maintenance, Um, we really, you know, do we determine the 64 hours a week that we're open is going to be carried forward into the expansion. Now, having said that, we may be using that multipurpose space Um, for events that may run longer than our normal 8 o'clock time uh, during the week or 5 o'clock on the weekends. Um, But that won't require a a full staff. Um, As you know, um, people are expensive. Um, And and when we looked at the model, um, adding hours was tough. Now, having said that, One of the pieces that we're gonna bring to the community is a 24 hours a day, seven days a week space that's gonna be open all the time. The front lobby area, we're utilizing some technology called um, Open Plus through a partner called Biblioteca. And it is a, you have to ask for, you get a special required card Um, and you go through an orientation, and then you're able to come in, swipe that card, and it allows you access to, it'll be just a front lobby space um, up to the gated area. It'll have a hold section. We have library patrons today that work shifts that don't allow them to come to the library when we're open, and it's hard for them to pick up materials. So there'll be a holds locker system there where if you go on the website and you put an item on hold, you can request that it be in the twenty-four-seven space, um, we're also going to be adding a lot of office, uh, you know, printing, um, digital copying, uh, things of that nature that people uh, may need at odd evenings and or odd times beyond our hours. Um, we're putting in um, laptop vending machines where, with a library card, you can come in, swipe, and check out a laptop. Um, we'll be putting in the equivalent of a red box for library book materials where you can come in and maybe get copies of a bestseller or a DVD new release or something like that. Um, I think you've hinted, you've hit on us the fact that every survey we've ever done, every uh, public meeting we've had to talk about library services, everybody wants more hours. The problem is it's expensive. And so what we've created and we think we'll be bringing on is a model that will allow us to kind of tippy-toe into adding some hours and let's see if the community can help us keep it a safe space and keep it a clean space and, and be respectful of the area. It's not new. Um, when we did a, we sent a small crew um, over to um, Scandinavia and Europe to look at what are considered to be the, the libraries that are um, decades ahead of where we are Oslo, Aarhus, Sweden, um, and other places, Copenhagen. Um, there's about 450 installations of the Open Plus system where the library patrons are able to come into a library space, it's unstaffed, but they had to get permission to come in. And the technology does some neat things. It won't allow, so if Greg, you came in with your card, but you brought three friends with you, it recognizes what they call tailgaters. And so it will immediately send a notification to security and says, Greg is here. But there are three people with him who are not um, card holders and so you can come and address that if you came in and you decided to take a nap after 30 minutes of not moving the system will send a security alert to say there's somebody sleeping in the library and somebody can come in and find out if it's a health emergency or whether they're just sleeping one off so we're going to we're going into it assuming that this community is going to be um, embracing of it and help us um, keep it a, a, a nice addition to the library but if for some reason it's not going to work um, it's we'll be able to just say you know what we're going to turn it off
0: it, and, it sounds like a secure really a secure environment that that is open at the same time I mean right. I mean it's it's a very controlled environment absolutely um, but uh, even but, to the point that's of, <laughs> that, that that's providing access, but right. it, but it it can't just be, you know, come on into the library. right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, you know,
1: and it's even smart enough that it would say when you walked in, it would say, "Hey, Greg, we hey, good evening, or it'll address you. so you automatically have a psychological barrier that says, "I know it knows I'm here. Mm-hmm. So if I have any shenanigans on my mind, um you'll it'll be a, a bit of a deterrent. So right. um, there's a library up in Hennepin County. Um, they've implemented it. It's been installed in a, in a couple of libraries in California, um, and they're finding that uh, their experiences show that it's sort of self-policing. Those people that take the time to go through the orientation and request the access card, um, they value the service that it's providing, so they're going to be protective of it. So if there are others in there who are misbehaving or something of that nature they're a part of helping kind of police it and and letting people know hey we're not going to tolerate that and in this space that the community is providing so it's
0: really a subset of the the overall population that uses the library yes Yes. very specific subset that uh, uh, might come in at two in the morning right absolutely Um,
1: and you know i mean we've had uh, instances where you know uh university students working on a project late at night and their laptop dies and they are in dire straits everything's up in the cloud and they've got no way to get to it we'll have laptop vending machines and if they've got the card they can come right in check out a laptop and complete their project
0: it's amazing what technology (laughs) allows you to do I, i know i i uh took a trip to florida and i needed something uh that i ordered from amazon and you know, they've got those Amazon lockers that yeah. I was able to ship it to myself in Florida where I have no home. Right. You know, but I I was able to ship it down there and and get it and yeah. just the door opens up and there's my there's what I ordered. It's it, it's truly amazing and sounds like the library is going to be making yeah. ample use of those kinds of technologies.
1: Yeah, and you know, when you when you think even further forward, you know, so there are Amazon stores that you can go to today where you fill up your basket with goods and you just walk out and it knows who you are. It uses um, you know, your phone um, and that near field identity and you walk out and it charges your account. Could we go to a library system where you just gather the items that you want and you just walk out with them and you get a text that says, hey, Greg, I see that you've checked out. Um, these three books, they're due on this date. And oh, by the way, you owe us 10 cents on a fine. Um, or maybe even add to that and say, oh, I see you've checked out a book on this topic. There's going to be a speaker here next week that's going to talk on exactly um, that issue. So the technology is there. It's being smart about how you implement it and how we um, you know, help it help us do our jobs. Anyway, that even include discussions about robots. So, could we have a library in twenty years where the reshelving functions are done um, at night by robots, where the pages could then be oriented to do other additional work of value, but that that labored device or activity of putting books back on a shelf could be completed by a robot at night when the libraries closed. Um, you know, I mean, those those things are there. And so, and so
0: when do the drones start delivering yeah, my books to my house? Well, you know, that's really funny. There's a
1: library that has, um, uh, they have done away with the classification system. I believe it's in New Jersey or New York. Which um, wish I could remember the name of it. I read, they actually just have books brought back in, put on a truck, And they just go place them generally on the shelf, and then at night, they fly a drone over that picks up the RFID sequence, and that feeds the catalog. So that when I search in the catalog for a material item, it tells me where it is in the library, but it's that drone flying through there at night, recataloging all the materials based on where they happen to be sitting on the shelf. Um, I, it i'm not a fan of that because I'm, sure. I'm a serendipity kind of you know i go to the shelf and i might find the one i looked for but the three on the other side are the ones that are more interesting than, than that one but yeah. um so drone services you know there's no telling what we'll be able to do with those
0: well let's talk uh about something that's really important fundraising yeah. um this there was a, a, a you know, property taxes uh, passed to support this from a public funding standpoint, but you guys are still fundraising to uh, to help pay for this building uh, uh, by several million dollars. So tell me a little bit about kind of where that stands and, and where you're going with it.
1: Yeah, so we have a, a $23 million capital campaign. Um, it's called, we call it Beyond Words, um, and that campaign, uh it, as I'm learning, uh, there's you move through what they consider the, the quiet phase where you look at your major transformational donors, some of the major foundations, some of the other philanthropic organizations, um, and then you kind of build that larger base. And then you turn it over to a public phase where um, you ask everyone in the community to be a partner in this expansion. Right now, we're still in the quiet phase. We're working with... Um, you know, we do have the major gift from our benefactor uh, Jim Blair. Um, he gave us two million dollars. We've got um, conversations going with the major foundations in the community and in this region, and uh, you know that work is nonstop. We're holding cultivation events. We're talking to people and asking them um, to help help make this a, a, a reality. Help us bring to this community. The things that uh, the, the, they've asked for that they're demanding of us. I will say I think our, our largest donor is the community. Um, they stepped forward and said you know what we're going to agree to this bond and it's a 27 million dollar gift to the library and uh, so the the campaign is on on track we're underway and we're just raising as much money as quickly as we can.
0: And. Uh, uh there will come a time when people. I mean, if somebody wants to give today, you you'll welcome them. Oh, absolutely. If someone <laughs> and, and and then there will come a time where you are more actively out sure. asking people to uh, to uh, get their checkbooks out or debit cards or. <laughs> yeah, or, if
1: you go to F P L dot um that's the website for the capital campaign. That's where we post all of the updates and show videos and things where people can see the construction work and. Um, Things, but there's also a a donation button there where if you uh, want to donate to to the the capital campaign, you can go there and and, uh, help us out.
0: And and more that's where people can go to just see the expansion, yeah. uh, the, how the expansion's going and, and what it's going to end up looking like.
1: Mm-hmm. We also have a Beyond Words um, Facebook page um, where we're a little more active um, there and an Instagram Beyond Words um, FPL. Um, so yeah, those are kind of like the quick hitters, just uh, comments from community and videos of a drone flying over the site and in different things like that but that's how we're uh, trying our best to keep the the community informed as to where we are what are the major events that are upcoming and how they can help
0: so what else do people need to know
1: well first i think uh, i want to just say thank you once again to this community for loving their library in a way that is so unique um, and uh, it's it's profound how um, you know, when ebooks came out, we heard about the death of the libraries and so forth. But this, this community didn't see it that way. Um, and in fact, they are coming in numbers that are unprecedented. Um, and they stepped up when we asked and said, you know, we want to grow as this community grows. And we want to continue to be a facility that offers exceptional, award-winning library services. And they said, we believe in you. Um, your trust bucket is full with us. And we're, we're willing to step up and, and uh, help you grow the library. So it's a, a, a big thank you to the community. Um, the other thing I'd like everyone to everyone to know is that we're on time um, and on budget. We uh, anticipate opening the, the, the Blair li- the expanded library. It will be the Blair Library, just be bigger um, in October of 2020, um, a little less than a year from now. Um, and, uh, everything that we went to the voters and said, um, these are the components that we want to expand the library with, all of that's still going to be brought, um, into the, the expansion and, uh, and we're on budget. So, um, you know, th- that to me is exciting and um, that we can deliver what we promised.
0: Well, thanks so much for being here. I know just, uh, from personal experience that, uh, the library is is one of those institutions that uh, uh, has broad support uh, uh, across the community. And uh, uh, so it's exciting to see what's happening down there. And and, uh, certainly once the physical structure is built, it'll be exciting to see what happens within those walls. So thanks for being here today. Uh, Wish you well in the next year as you uh, not only deal with uh, checking books out to people, but actually building a, a whole new building. Um, Appreciate you being here and uh, come back soon. Thank you, Dave. It was an honor. Thanks for listening to this edition with David Johnson, Executive Director of the Fayetteville Public Library. If you'd like to see some photos uh, that I shot yesterday of progress at the library's expansion, you can visit our Speaking of Arkansas podcast webpage for this episode at nwaonline.com. /podcast. As David mentioned, details of the expansion plans and the fundraising campaign can be viewed by visiting www.beyondthewordsfbl.org. As always, you can find this and other podcasts from the Northwest Arkansas Democrat-Gazette at nwaonline.com/podcast. You can subscribe to be notified of new episodes through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, soundcloud stitcher and other popular podcast apps if you have a suggestion for our show contact me at g h a r t o n at com or by calling 479-872-5026 that's it for this episode i'm greg harton for the northwest arkansas Democrat gazette i hope you'll join us again on speaking of arkansas